Hello and welcome to episode 221 of the IABC International Podcast. My name's Dan Gold, and on this episode, I have a returning guest. Caroline Sapriel is back, and we're speaking about her article, which is on the IABC website. It's in the latest section, and it relates to COVID-19. Before we speak about the article itself, I'd like to welcome Caroline. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be back. It's my pleasure as well. We had such great feedback from the previous episode on which you appeared. And in the meantime, the world has changed. We're experiencing a lot of different living conditions than we were only a few months ago. How's everything with you over there? Well, we're fine. Uh, we adjusting like everybody else on a day-to-day basis. My team, my colleagues and myself, we've been working remotely for 30 years from the beginning. We have a common shared working space, but typically we work a lot uh, remotely and from home. So on that front, it hasn't changed very much. We're used to it. Uh, we're just as productive uh, uh, and, and it's not so difficult. What is, of course, challenging is the uncertainty of the situation, how long it's going to last, the impact it's going to have both on you know, people's health, people's lives, but also economically, financially, uh, and on the business uh, in general. So you mentioned in there that you're an organization that works remotely. Do you believe that that gives you a level of, of lower disruption in, in the adjustment? Yes, certainly, because we don't have to deal with the overheads of huge office spaces and expensive uh, setups. So we've always worked like way, that way from the beginning. It's interesting because we started that way uh, almost 30 years ago now. Uh, and at some point, we thought that basically uh, clients would say, come on, why don't you have an office? And it never happened. And we continue to work that way because primarily most of the work we do, we either do remotely or when we deliver, we deliver in clients' offices. What has changed now, of course, is that the delivery of those products and services is now taking place online with clients as well. So as a result, because we had already started shifting things online, we are doing more of that. So a lot of our trainings in crisis management, crisis communication, all the exercises and desktop and, 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 and various simulations, we are moving all that online. Uh, and uh, clients are adjusting. We find that it's easier for us because we've been doing it for a while. Some clients are still adjusting to how to behave when they're online. But uh, by and large, we're getting a lot of very good feedback. Uh, and it shows that it is possible with the existing technology. And no doubt this technology is only going to improve going forward. That's really interesting because as a part of my day-to-day practice, aside from the IABC International Podcast, um, crisis communication, media training, preparedness, and the scenario training that goes with it is something that I also do. And with that, I have found the delivery of the services has been almost seamless. Mm. Educating the client to the fact that this can still work some people appreciate it and get it and others have been well 
do you know we're we're going to wait we want you in the room we still want to do the role play and the scenarios in the room we'll wait for it you know it's completely the client's choice one way or the other but I do admire those who have been flexible and who have been able to just change the way that they think as an operation because our clients are going through such incredible change adopting a a learning method that's also changed can for some be a step too far. Yes, yes. And I think a lot of it has to do with recognizing that you don't run an online session the same way as you run it face to face. Being online is far more tiring. The concentration level is far more challenging. So, you know, as, as facilitators and trainers and coaches, we have we we need to coach our clients to adjusting to these things and we've obviously adjusted the way we run our trainings but next to this already 3 years ago we started developing online and e-learning uh, modules for a range of crisis management topics which our clients had been starting to adopt and now there's more demand for this inevitably So there's a combination of the accompanied facilitator training that can still take place online. Uh, It's not going to replace the face-to-face. And as things go back to a little bit more normal, I believe the face-to-face will return. But it shows that actually you don't need to travel halfway across the world to facilitate an effective session. We ran one last Friday with, uh, with a client uh, who has a plant uh, in the U.S., and the entire team was either at the plant or remotely, and we did it for, for half a day, and it worked, and it worked really well. There was a lot of learning. Um, and so that together with the ability to self-learn through well-prepared professional e-learning modules like we have as part of our Crisis Academy is, is a good solution for clients to continue to be prepared. It's lovely to see that people have looked at their instructional design to ensure that it's applicable and suitable for the times and applicable and deliverable for the client. I'd like to move on now just on to the article itself, the title of which is Navigating Through the COVID-19 Storm. As I said, you can find it on the IABC website. I will provide a link to it uh, in the notes of this episode as well. Caroline, what was the motivation for writing this article at this time, aside from, obviously, we are experiencing unprecedented times? Well, I... I believe that crises are inherently uh, filled with uncertainty. And so if there is uncertainty, you can't really talk about management and control um, because how can you control the events? The only thing you can control is the way you choose to deal with them. This particular crisis has even more uncertainty. Uh, I like to compare it to a dark tunnel which is uh, long uh, or short, you don't know. It may have many bends. You don't know if somebody's coming at you from the other side uh, and and it's dark and you somehow need to steer your way out of there. So we believe that it is about navigating through the crisis, holding the course, setting a a mission statement for this crisis and and holding the course. And, And that's why we believe in navigating rather than knee-jerk reacting and, and, and just managing thinking uh, that, that you can control the events. You can't control any event in a crisis. The only thing you can control is the way you deal with it. 
One of my favourite lines in the whole article says, in 2020, uncertainty is the new certainty. You've just explained an element of that. Uncertainty also can cause panic, can cause fear. What methods would you suggest are are available what tools are available to people do you think to be able to reassure and almost handhold others i i believe uh, organizations need leadership so somebody needs to stand up and lead uh and give that direction uh in every major crisis wherever it's been around you know the world for the past so many years and decades that has always been a cornerstone of of effective uh, crisis management. It's to have somebody that leads. Secondly, it's balancing the day-to-day response, recognizing that, no, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't see how it's going to be in a week, in two weeks, in three months. But we can certainly manage the immediate uh, or short-term Uh, impact of this situation. So part of the organization needs to focus on that, whilst part of the organization, and usually it's a question of splitting the team, the other part of the team should really focus on stakeholder impact, stakeholder, real stakeholder mapping, so that you can forecast how people may react to what you do and don't do and the decisions you make. And if you can forecast that stakeholder position, you have a way of developing what we call worst case scenarios so that you could be proactive and continue to prepare for the worst. Preparing for the worst is a very important mental disposition of a crisis team, albeit not one that comes naturally because as humans, we prefer to hope for the best. So it's hope It's a balance between the immediate response, immediate actions you can do to mitigate the immediate impacts and adjust with a slightly longer term view based on worst case scenario development and and strategy development to meet those challenges going forward and be better prepared. That very forecast capability is very empowering for teams. Uh, I think it, it really is a question of balance, balancing the optimistic with the pessimistic. Uh, and, and that's probably on a day-to-day basis the most useful uh, mental uh, set or mental uh, approach to, to adopt and to follow. Within that segment that you've just mentioned relating to your teams, this is probably the piece that was the element of the article that that made me I, I i don't know whether to say happiest but it was the one that um aligned with the way that i think and it was your section on helping your teams to adjust to working from home those who are used to working from a corporate office or multiple uh, office locations with the structure the regimen of having a time to clock in a time to clock out the they arrive at their desk their own space they have their items arranged in the way that they are used to they have their colleagues next to them physically within a space that they're used to just leaning over and chatting about an issue or addressing something and all that disappears and the piece on this that really resonated with me was the adjustment of kpis and the level of expectation you've got an organization that works remotely but for those that 
haven't. What's the disconnect that can happen when people suddenly change their working environment? And when you refer to KPIs, uh, what are you specifically looking at? Okay, so in the situation we're in, if we go back to my earlier comment, which is about uncertainty and the stress and the anxiety can come from that uncertainty, that is going to be there. That's going to be there in all our minds. So that is added to the stress. So that's the context of the stress for people who are suddenly having to work from home with limited space, limited privacy, maybe young kids, teenagers at home that are bored, having to try and uh, still focus and concentrate and be productive whilst having to juggle these this particular reality. So you have a double a double challenge, the challenge of the situation that is the stress of worry of being healthy, remaining healthy, losing close ones, close ones getting sick, but at the same time, and the uncertainty, but at the same time, the reality and limitations of working from home. Uh, there is an interesting uh, psych- uh, psychotherapy uh, approach, which is called solution-focused therapy, that makes a difference between problems and limitations. And, and if you know it's a limitation, you work around it because you can't change it. So acceptance is very important. That said, it's a challenge for the, for the teams, but it's a challenge for the organization uh, to recognize and support the teams during this phase, recognize that productivity will and cannot possibly be the same. And rather than put pressure on these people, and I know that some organizations are, and the staff and the employees are getting even more stressed, the idea that you are in daily contacts, that you work, uh, you set up uh, re- remote meetings, remote support groups, uh, checking in on a regular basis, uh, making sure that 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 people are okay, that moral uh, support is critical. Now, in terms of KPI, if you recognize that in these circumstances, people cannot possibly be as productive as concentrated time in an office where there's privacy, then clearly you may have to adjust together with them what they can effectively do. It could be a question of deadlines. It could be a question of adjusting to what is realistically possible if people work remotely and have to call on to multiple people to be able to uh, deliver what they're supposed to deliver. So that should be a conversation. But the first step is to recognize that that productivity cannot be the same because it's just not going to be the same number of hours put in. And to expect people to work, for instance, in the morning, one person working in the morning while the husband or wife has got the afternoon because in the afternoon somebody needs to look after the kids, to expect these people to pick up the same number of hours and productivity in the evening is ridiculous and completely unrealistic. And that's what I mean. So even if you adjust, you have to also adjust to the, uh, or at least management companies have to adjust to that reality, not only the people working in that new environment, but adjusting to the expectation of what these people can deliver. And there's an element of trust to this as well. I know people who thrive working in an office environment and they like being there because they can be seen to be working. And then there's other people that I know directly and personally who hate working remotely for 
any reason because they get the feeling that they're being judged for not being productive. What can we say to those people who who feel that they'll have the finger pointed at them in time that, oh, you took this time uh, working from home. Yes, it was unavoidable, but you could have done a bit more. Uh, and I think this is where it should be a, a, a combined effort. So people who are f- afraid that that may happen clearly have to own up to the fact that they may need to send uh, a summary a daily summary of the items that they have undertaken or the activities that they did as a way to demonstrate if they're afraid that they're going to be finger pointed to demonstrate what they have accomplished that day or what they were busy with. Equally, management just also has to recognize that there is no way people can be as productive if they are not used to it. Now, I've been working from home for 30 years. I am so productive. I have no issue whatsoever, but I'm a self-starter. I start my day. I get dressed. I don't sit in my pajamas and work behind my computer. I started a fixed time. Uh, I, and I, and I have a more or less a normal working day in terms of hours. I typically start at eight 30 and we'll finish around six with a break, but I'm very productive because I've done it for so many years, but I also don't have young children at home. One of my daughter was young it was the, my schedule was around her and indeed i would pick up occasionally some items after she was in bed in the evening so it's a flexibility a recognition and also a demonstration uh, of what you've been able to accomplish that day so we have our team meetings every monday uh and i have a couple of young uh, people on our teams who are alone and young people i think uh, are suffering from the last lack of social networks because young people go out, they have friends, they get together, they go to the pub. These people are struggling because they can't. Uh, clearly, a lot of things are happening online, but it's not the same. So these young people uh, are very happy when we run a Monday meeting virtually. And then we have divided among our two of us who are the business owners to make regular calls with them once a day, twice a day, and alternate, make sure they're okay. Uh, do they need anything? But equally, agree on workable timelines and achievements that are workable. And I think a lot of it is in the communication and the sharing of information. That transparency yes. is obviously going to be incredibly important. Uh, just as we uh, get towards the end of this um, chat, I I like to address one of the final sections that you have on this article, which is use your time productively. And you've mentioned a number of times about productivity and how planning and structure really, really matters. Is there an opportunity? I mean, I can only share my experience on this one because it's all that I'm gifted with. I have in one area of the business, we've we've got an uptick in work, and in other areas, it's been uh, paused. And in in third parts, you know, those clients aren't going to be coming back for a little while. There are three segments as I see them, but I'm taking the opportunity to look at those uh, MOOCs, those online courses, look at the IABC Academy, and look at professional development because it's not only something that I can dedicate time to. I can also look at how certain courses can benefit the organizations, not only during this time, but in the times after it. And we are on that cycle to recovery. 
do you think as leaders of organizations that there is an opportunity for us to work with our teams to identify opportunities for learning that maybe we haven't had time to give them previously? Absolutely, absolutely. And we, I, I agree with your three segments because I think we feel that way too, and I'm sure many organizations do. Parts of the business are ticking along nicely, others are pause, and the third one, well, you don't know what's going to happen with that one. So our strategy from the beginning has been to, first of all, identify uh, online learning opportunities for our team, things that they may not otherwise have time to attend or, or, or pay attention to. Secondly, to actually develop new products. And so we have developed a series of initiatives Uh, did some initial exploration and then zeroed in on the ones that are worth pursuing in terms of development. Uh, so that creative output has been very, very good for everybody. And and the other area is around uh, looking even at things that are not necessarily work-related uh, that can be uh, a morale booster, uh, even other activities that... Uh, staff uh, can undertake uh, just to keep them upbeat uh, and, and creative and, and forward thinking. And then uh, all those things combined help with morale. And that's what you're talking about. If you use the downtime to develop new products, to do some housekeeping even, I'll give you an example. We've been, we're busy now totally re-looking re at our CRM and consolidating everything we have. Normally, When we would be typically busy with client delivery, it would be at the bottom of the pile. And so we would be struggling with it as a, as a small team and not dealing with it. Well, now is a perfect time. Uh, and so th there's plenty of activities. By staying in development mode, your mind is productive. Your mind is in a good position. And I believe that it positions uh, teams and organizations to emerge stronger on the other side of the crisis. The ones that are hanging back and a little bit paralyzed by what is happening, not knowing where to go, waiting for clients to ring or waiting for the business to pick up, uh, are going to have a very tough time coming out of this. I believe that productive productivity and creativity uh, are the hallmark of, of uh, the ability to survive a period like this, which is so uncertain in, in terms of timing. And if I may add one to that. I've taken the opportunity to reach out to the not-for-profits and take up those previous uh, requests for pro bono work because there's an opportunity in a time like this to say, okay, you're right, as you say, Caroline, keep the mind active, yes. keep, keep moving forwards. And still we can do good at the same time and keep our skills sharp and maybe even try something a little bit different because otherwise when we're in the top gear mode we're always going we don't always set aside the time that we could for those pro bono projects caroline where can we find out more information about you and csna international Uh, well, you can contact me on, on LinkedIn, Caroline Sapriel. I'm on LinkedIn. You can contact me on Twitter, which is hashtag create, uh, CSNA, CSA Crisis Com. And my uh, email address is caroline.sapriel at csa-crisis.com.
So I'd be very happy to, if anybody had any questions, happy to answer them. Um, and it's been a pleasure to talk about this. And I wish everybody uh, good health uh, in these challenging times. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me here on the IABC International Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Music was from Joachim Karud and Ixon. And this is an IABC production.